Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, my name is Mike Patreon, and I'm here to sell you the Patreon. Did you know that if you go to patreon.com slash woe underscore begone, you can get early access to episodes if I finish them on time, instrumentals, Q&As, director's commentaries, extra art and music, and more? I recently put up the January Q&A for $2 patrons, so go check that out. And if you give me $20,000 a month, I will legally change my name to Mike Patreon. Special thanks to my 10 newest patrons. Joe Baker, Pablo Neurotic, Primary Glitch, Fable, Utopia, Paragon Paladin, Marion Perry Reed, Mary Rose Larkin, Taylor Martin, and Brittany for supporting the show. Enjoy. Ty Betteridge. Never a more elusive character was there. Except for, you know, Flinch and Ryan probably. And whoever met me in the Arbiter Mask when I played Wobegon the second time, no idea who that was. And, I mean, Michael's kinda weird. But Ty is an enigma nonetheless. And, unlike the other weird jerks that I mentioned, Ty is the one whose identity, whereabouts, and goals might actually provide important information about how this whole time travel story fits together. The most notable of Ty's features, other than his calm and professional nature, is that he is the only person I've encountered that has had voluntary associations with every time travel adjacent group that the base is currently aware of. He worked it over and was positively identified by Hunter Jeremiah Hartley as working there contemporaneous to when the rest of us worked there. He was obviously involved in the Flinchite compound. He was the one responsible for detaining me inside of said compound and making me replay Wobegon under an alias, robbing me of months of my life. And finally, and least understood, he was a presumed arbiter, wearing the same sort of mask that an arbiter was wearing when he visited me during said second round of Wobegon and as an Arbiter was shot and killed while in possession of a calculator inside of Tier 2, the night that we foiled the Flinchites' plans that would have resulted in Edgar's death. Like Ty, I also had experience with Over, the Arbiters, and the Flinchites, but none of my associations with these groups were voluntary. I was coerced by each of these to do violent work on their behalf. The lines are blurrier with regards to Over, but I did not choose to go to work there. 
The discovery of Tiberidge as an arbiter made that group into even more of an unknown unknown. I knew precious little about them before the incident in Tier 2. The name Arbiter was one that I ascribed to them. I knew that they were running the version of Wobegon that I had been playing, and that one of them had visited me in the lead-up to the fourth challenge. Presumably they had either taken Wobegon from Ryan or were somehow working with him. Ryan remains unavailable for comment. After the incident in Tier 2, the information that we gained was that Ty was working with the Arbiters at what appeared to be the same time that he was working at Over, and that they were able to conduct time travel in the field through what we are now calling calculators. From the outside, it appeared that Ty Betteridge was taking all sides in this conflict, actively working in all of these conflicting groups at once during this incident. To understand how Ty might have ended up in this position, we need to understand the temporal elements of Ty's story. The Ty Betteridge that I knew from the Flinchite compound was maybe 35? Not old, but no longer a young adult either. Hunter confirmed to the base that the Ty Betteridge that he knew could not have possibly been that old. He was Edgar's age or younger, and Edgar was 27 before the lost year, so mid-twenties-ish? So does this mean that the Flinchite's operation was to sabotage a younger Ty Betteridge? Had young Ty or an iteration of him gone rogue? Were they connected in the time travel sense? Was this Ty issuing what the base calls a correction? Was the British accent a fake bruv? Could the British accent have been a put-on to amuse himself and confuse his younger iterations? Elder time travelers have been known to use such meddlesome tactics. The pursuit of this knowledge for a true Ty Betteridge was personal for me. Ty had been my captor, after all. He found me while I was scraping rock bottom at Matt's house and plunged me into a somehow even deeper hole. He made me his guinea pig, or more appropriately now I guess he made me his hamster, though I would never do anything to intentionally harm my hamsters. He ruined my life. Okay, that might be a difficult claim to prove considering everything else that I've been through, but he did allow me to experience a great deal of pain, all for the sake of gathering info on… what? on a group that a younger iteration of himself was a part of, the failure of these stories to line up made me even more resentful. It made me even more desperate to decode the Ty Betteridge situation. Enter the Ty Betteridge data operation. They finally let me name something. They wouldn't let me name the base, they wouldn't let me name the group chat, and they wouldn't let me name the hamsters, although I did name them anyway, rest in peace chubbums. Just think, the base could have been named the Time Zone or the retrocausal pocket, or I, I don't know, let's see here, any of the other 50 names that I came up with? Here's a good one, the Old Brush Unconventional Travel Society, or OUT Society, out, like over and out, get it? But I got my clever name in. The Ty Betteridge Data Operation shortens to TBDO, or Tibido. Tibido. Remember? Charles Tibido? A name from back when this all started? the 20th century philosopher and author of the book Constructing Time, he was like Eliza Schultz before Eliza Schultz. Is this ringing any bells at all? I mean, no worries if it's not, because this was before I even killed my first pig, for instance. And just like Eliza Schultz, I am almost positive that Charles Thibodeau never existed, that he was constructed by Cannonball and Ryan to give trailheads to Wobegon players. Anne claims that she never bought any of the Charles Thibodeau stuff for even a second, but despite these obvious lies, she was able to appreciate the name of my project. Project Thibodeau was an espionage project, like all of our best projects were. 
Anytime physically altering the world came into the equation, I would always do something regrettable, like filling an office full of water, or filling an office full of an angry bear, or blowing up a surveillance van, for example. It was much more comfortable to observe people from afar, or not even from afar in this case. Since Ty worked it over, we could interact with him in his natural habitat. Hunter Jeremiah Hartley, having worked it over longer than any of us, was able to give us a timeline of Ty's employment and the scoop on what he was like back then. According to Hunter, Ty started working at Over around the same time that Edgar started, so before my time but not too long before. And, like Edgar, he worked on the interfacing team between Tiers 1 and 2. Edgar swore to us that he didn't know Ty Betteridge outside of some introductions and pleasantries, and honestly, it does check out. Over is an enormous complex, and not all of the interfacing team works together. He ended up working in 116E, but he started in 282E, and Edgar didn't get a chance to know him very well before the incident in Tier 2. From Hunter's recollection, Ty was normal, leaning towards exceptionally friendly. This fit within my recollection of him. It was easy to imagine a younger Ty that was just as cordial, but a little bit more carefree. His unassuming personality might also have been a front for something much darker and deeper. It might be best not to take how someone acts at a top government facility at face value. The plan was to observe Ty from the earliest moments that we knew his whereabouts, namely the beginning of his employment at Over. We hoped that this would give us insight into where he came from and whether he knew anything when he started at Over, or if his actions were the result of something that happened there. We decided that the plan would work best if the reconnaissance team consisted of members who were already employed at Over when Ty started there. This would allow reconnaissance members to approach Ty without raising any suspicions from Ty or anyone else in the complex. This means that I was not considered an option for the field work since I started my employment after Ty did. Marissa was quick on the draw to volunteer herself and Ravi. Ravi was not part of the team. Ravi was an intense liability that had to be monitored at all hours. When Marissa discovered what Ravi was up to and captured him, she sent Hunter to Ravi's cabin to destroy any documents that he might have had and to install a hidden camera. Marissa also put a covert GPS tracker on their cart in order to monitor his patrol routes. But this did not solve the liability problem, which was taking up a lot of mental and physical bandwidth within base. Ravi was clearly scared of retribution from Marissa, but we all worried that as soon as she turned her back, he would make a run for it. Her plan to fix this was to use his deference to her to employ him in a time travel mission. This would make him complicit in the espionage that he was investigating. The Sword of Damocles would be hanging over his head too, and he would either join us or drop looking into it. Marissa's plan was… undercooked, I guess, but the truth was none of us wanted to kill him. That is what it all boiled down to and what none of us would say, that the alternative to this plan was killing Ravi. I don't know why we all found our softness at the same time and in the same way, but killing Ravi was off the table, which meant that Marissa's plan was all we had. Thibodeau 1 was an operation that would begin at the start of Ty's employment at Over, and would be a continuous reconnaissance mission contingent upon successful acquisition of information. Edgar loves it when I use big words. That is to say that Marissa and Ravi were to keep going around the clock if they found something. Thanks to the calculators, they wouldn't have to actually work around the clock. We could send them back in time eight hours to a hotel room that we had booked ahead of time, and allow them to rest and come back right where they left off. Base would keep up seamless communication with them and would be working around the clock. Base support would be divided into three shifts, Edgar in the morning, Marissa in the afternoon, and yours truly at night. 
we would maintain these shifts for 48 hours, at which point we would reevaluate our course of action. And, just like that, the plan was set. Cue the plan music. We drafted up routes and schedules, gathered supplies, and made predictions and contingencies. It was time for Thibodeau 1. And this is Woebegone. Project Thibodeau 1 began at 8am, both in base time and mission time. Mission time was locked to base time in order to simplify calculations. If base needed to know when something was happening in the mission, they would know immediately because it would be exactly the same time as the base. This helped with documentation, but it was especially useful during an emergency. Calculators are difficult to use and require knowing a precise moment in time, so if there was an emergency, it would be better if no one had to do any quick math. And by no one, of course, I do mean me. I barely knew how to operate a calculator, and frankly, they scared me, so the fewer buttons I had to push, the better. We established a rendezvous coordinate inside of Over that Ravi and Marissa were to report to at the beginning and end of each shift. We would know these exact coordinates and these exact times, so we could use this as a failsafe in case of catastrophic failure. Let's pretend that these ideas of locked time with base and a rendezvous coordinate were my idea, because this was my mission. I was awake at this particular 8am that Thibodeau 1 began. I made myself some coffee and then proceeded to the operations room with Edgar, despite his protestations. Mikey, you need to go rest for the night shift, he badgered me. Babe, this is my mission. This is Thibodeau 1. I'm not going to sleep. I'm too excited to sleep. I'll sleep during Anne's shift, or I'll sleep when I'm dead, I said. I'm more concerned about you sleeping during your shift, Edgar said. I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I said. I'll pull an all-nighter if I have to, I'm not gonna miss anything. I'm serious, Mikey. If you fall asleep on your shift, you'll have to earn my forgiveness. You know what that means, you'll have to wear the hat all day. Edgar winked at me. Huh, joke's on you, Panther. I threw the hat in the trash last week, I said. Edgar smiled. Well, I don't doubt that you threw an iteration of the hat in the trash, he said. I sighed. <sighs> of course you duplicated the hat. The hat, by the way, is exactly the hat that you're thinking of, and Edgar thinks that it's cute, and we're just gonna move on, okay? Anyway, Ravi and Marissa are heading in now, Edgar said. They have secured a hotel room to use on breaks, and they are making their way through the front gate past Charlie as we speak. The rendezvous coordinates are right in front of your door on the porch of your cabin. My cabin? Why my cabin? I asked. Oh, because it was empty. The whole route is empty for a couple of months, actually, until they hired you. That's why they put you there, he explained. Some uneventful moments passed, and then the earpiece sputtered and crackled to life. Come in, Edgar, come in, Marissa said. Are you there? We are both here, actually, I said, beating Edgar to the punch. Oh, why is he here? Whatever, I don't care, Marissa said, sounding slightly annoyed. 
Don't worry about Mikey. Are you on the way to the rendezvous coordinates? Edgar asked. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna make it uh, by the skin of our teeth, thanks to Charlie. She's a little too smart for her own good, Marissa said. Is everything okay? Edgar asked. I was on my way in, and Charlie asked me if my hair was a lot longer than it was yesterday. How'd she fucking notice that? She said. It's sort of Charlie's job to notice stuff like that, I said defensively. And your job, if I remember correctly, Mikey boy, is night shift, so maybe go take a nap? Marissa shot back antagonistically. Well, I'm glad you got in, Marissa. I assume that Ravi is with you as well? Edgar asked. He is, and if he wants to act like I'm his boss, I'm going to treat him that way, so he will not be speaking unless spoken to. Isn't that right, Ravi? I could hear the faintest agreement in the background from Ravi. I was content that he would be under constant in-person supervision for a while. Monitoring him from the base while deciding what to do with him had made me anxious. You have four minutes until 8.15, Edgar reminded them. Can you make it to the rendezvous? No sweat, and with a couple minutes to spare, you know me, Marissa said. We're approaching the porch right now. Damn, Mike, this place used to look good before you moved in. I opened my mouth to retort and say that maybe that wasn't all my fault and that maybe I'd been through some, you know, stuff. But Edgar grabbed my leg in order to get me to stop. So I said nothing. The comms went quiet for a moment and then Marissa arrived on the doorstep. We're here, home sweet home, Marissa said. So now what, we wait around for two fucking minutes? Yep, that's it, Edgar said. Until your watch says 8.15. That's a 10-4 on that, Edgar, Marissa said. Hey, Mikey, you never said that you could see Ty's cabin from your cabin. What are you hiding from us? I didn't know that I could, Marissa, I said. I didn't even know who that was until I was transported into a windowless room wearing Matt's underwear to get experimented on. Oh, someone's a little bit cranky this morning, Marissa said. Maybe it's because someone is up too early for their night shift. I'm just teasing you, man. It's great news that I can see Ty's cabin from here. I've got a nice optic just for the occasion. Yeah, I'm going to be able to see bright in his window. And I've got a night vision one for tonight. And I've got the spare keys to the cart that no one uses. This is going to be perfect. So yeah, I guess we'll go grab that cart when these two minutes are up. Hey, if you can see him from there, can you tell if he's in the cabin right now? Edgar asked. Yeah, sure. Give me a minute while I bust out the hardware. We could hear Marissa rustling around in some sort of bag. We are in luck, boys. It looks like he's heading out the door right now. What's he work, by the way, like 9 to 6? Yeah, that's right, and he was working in a building called 282E when he started, if you know where that is, Edgar said. If I know where that is, Edgar, that's on my route, Marissa said. I think me and Ravi will swing by there and introduce ourselves after he gets a chance to get settled into his workday. Speaking of going to work, Edgar, you told me he starts at 9 and it's 8.15? It's not a 45-minute walk to 282E, is it? No, from there it's like 15 minutes at most. Where do you think he's going? Edgar asked. Well, so far, he could be going anywhere on Earth. He's just on the path, Marissa said. Not nearly enough time to get from there to the cafeteria and then eat and then get to work, I said. Everybody ignored me. We passed 8.15, by the way. You were standing at the coordinates when that happened? Edgar asked. Oh yeah, we were standing here. No problem with that. He's going into a... Is he going into a fucking red flag cabin? Marissa interjected. Edgar, did you have access to red flag cabins for your job? I asked. No, they were almost entirely off-limits without specific permissions, and I never got one of them, Edgar said. His face scrunched. And Ty just started work it over. No, no, there's no way that he has permission to go in a red flag cabin. Well, permission or not, that fucker is inside a red flag cabin now, Marissa said. He could be snooping. They aren't locked usually, I said. That's all well and good, Mikey, but I can see him now, and he's coming out, and he's got these files with him that he didn't have before, so, so much for snooping. 
Marissa replied. To get in and out like that with some intel, you're going to need a key. That has been my experience as well, I said. Where is he going now? I anxiously sipped my coffee, waiting for her to answer. Well, there's 282 right there, and he just blew right past it, so I guess he's not going to work, Marissa said. I suddenly had an idea. I cleared my throat anxiously. <clears throat> uh, Marissa, you know where you, uh, you shot the, uh, you shot the, the, the bear? I asked. I didn't want to bring it up, but I thought I knew where this was going. Mike, why the fuck are you bringing this up right now? Marissa asked. Alright, so you know the row of buildings where you shot the bear? Well, okay, so there's that, there's the place with the trash can, and then there's the buildings, and then there's the forest back that way behind it, but there's another row of buildings across the way. Does that sound familiar? I asked. Duh, fuck, Mike, I guess so? Like, if you go all the way down and you take a right, like, my route goes left, and I haven't been far out that way, but if you take a right there, like, those buildings is what you mean, Marissa asked. There's a building in that row, I don't know what it's called, but Hunter took me there once. It wasn't Innocent Hunter, it was Mystery Hunter, I think. Does it look like he might could be going that way? I asked. Fuck, maybe. I'm gonna level with you, Mikey. I have a scope, but it's not fucking magic. I can't see through walls, and I can't see through trees, so I can't see him right now. So I'm just sitting here hoping that he pops his head out so I can see him again. I might have lost him. But yes, potentially, that sounds like it could be where he's going. She sounded frustrated. My point being, I think I know where he's going, I said. There's a building out that way. I don't know whose route it's on. I thought it was yours, Marissa. But Wobegon had me seal red flag cabin files out of that mail slot. That could be where the files are going. Well, if you're saying that you want us to get the files for you, well, I'm down for some late night robbery. What do you say, Edgar? Marissa's enthusiasm was always refreshing, but Edgar scowled. No, I don't think that's a good idea. Edgar shook his head. I don't think that we can do anything with the files, so it doesn't matter whether or not we have them. When Mikey did it, he had to have Ryan decode it for us, and we don't have a Ryan. I think that what we're going to get out of this is that we learned that Ty can just walk into red flag cabins like he belongs there and take files and move them around. That's not typical. I never did that. 10-4, Chief. Robbery is cancelled for tonight, Marissa said. So to recap, we got to the rendezvous point, and we got you some bonus info on Ty along the way that is free of charge. So what do you say that Ravi and I go get that spare cart, and by the time we get there, it will be time to go say hi to our friend Ty and see if we can pick his brain a little bit. What do you think? 282E is, of course, on mine and Ravi's route, so it should be really easy to make an excuse to go in. We'll just walk right in the door. We'll say there's some security issue or some shit. Who cares? So, past Marissa just got done with her shift and she's heading to bed. Uh, where is past Ravi, Ravi? We heard some demure muttering from Ravi on the other side of the earpiece. Ah, this is one of Ravi's off days, so the route is being taken care of by the neighboring routes, which means we are in the clear. No running into duplicates of us today. Spectacular, Edgar said. Looks like the plan is just gonna work this time. Fingers crossed. How about you guys go retrieve the cart and then head to 282E and then tell me what you find. Aye aye, Captain. I will maintain radio silence until I have something to report, Marissa said. The line went quiet. I yawned. Hey, go to bed, Bear. Edgar chastised me. Oh, but this is the only time I'll get to see you today. I'll be going to bed when you start your shift tomorrow morning. I'll never see you, I whined. You've already had a cup of coffee and you're still yawning, Edgar pointed out. You're going to crash, and you don't want to crash during your shift, do you? Unable to stop myself, I yawned again, an unwitting act of contrition. I know, I know, you're right, and I'll feel so much better when it's my shift and I'll have all this energy and be raring to go. You're right. I'll see you in the morning to hand off my shift to you, 
Good night, Panther. I gave him a quick kiss. Night, Mikey. Sweet dreams, Edgar said. I left the operations room and returned to our bedroom. I hadn't told Edgar that it had become almost impossible to sleep alone. It wasn't something that I could attribute to any one thing. Some nights I would wake up in the dark having convinced myself that someone was in the room with me. Some nights I would have dreams that someone or some animal was chasing me down and trying to kill me. And on the worst nights I had dreams about Matt. When Edgar was there with me, I would wake up knowing that I was safe with him. When I woke myself up by jumping out of bed, Edgar was patient enough to wrangle me back into bed and calm me down. Without him, it didn't feel like I ever got any real sleep. Resting up from my shift was no different. I slept in spats, I had nightmares, and then I stayed up out of fear of having more of them. I paced around, I fucked around on the internet, I put on a movie that I ended up not watching any of. I was fired up about Thibodeau 1, I just, I couldn't sleep. My shift did arrive eventually, and passed off responsibility to me, looking tired and annoyed. What a ripoff. I thought your project was going to be exciting, Mikey, but they just sat around doing jack shit for most of my shift, Anne said. Anything of note at all? I asked. So, the notes from Edgar's shift are in the main document. They met and talked to Ty during his shift, so be sure to read that. All they did on my shift was go check out some sort of building, and then they went to his cabin while he was at work and looked inside. And then they proceeded to do a whole bunch of nothing for the rest of my shift. She threw her hands up in frustration. You know how it goes. Stalking is like that sometimes. I'm sorry you didn't have any fun, I said. Yeah, so it goes, she sighed. Oh, what I did do was I used the calculator to give them an eight-hour break, so they'll be coming in at the same time as you, fresh and ready. And you won't have to fiddle with the calculator during your shift. Thank, Thank God. God, we both said in unison. Okay then, with that being said, the keys to the castle are all yours, Mikey, she said. If you need anything, anything at all, never forget, wake up Edgar, not me. Do not wake me up unless the world is ending, okay? Can do, I replied, but she was halfway out the door. She seemed particularly eager to get out of the operations room. I had a few minutes while I was waiting for Marissa and Ravi to make it past the front gate. I had myself a snack of gluten-free trail mix. I guess if I wanted better snacks then I could supply them, but I'm already giving Anne my whole paycheck. You know what? No, it's, it's fine. It's whatever. It's fine. And I'm not mad. I also had a chance to peruse the main document where Edgar and Anne had cataloged what had happened on their shifts. It appears that after I left, they did in fact get the cart and take it to 282E, where they did in fact meet Ty Betteridge. Marissa confirmed for us that this Ty was roughly the same age as the Ty that we found inside of Tier 2. He confirmed what we suspected, that he was both new there and that he was on the interfacing team. Marissa reports that she kept dropping hints about time travel being the main technology at Over, and that as a result, Ty began to play dumb. Edgar made sure to write down that this was Marissa's personal editorializing. From there, the two returned to my cabin and continued plotting out their daily goals. During Anne's shift, they appeared to have gone to the building with the mail drop-off box and confirmed that it would be impossible to retrieve mail from it during the day. Then they seemed to have gone to Ty's cabin to try to see as much as they could through the windows, notably seeing a vast number of files, none of which they could make out the contents of, and a large safe in his bedroom. Nothing damning, but some things that were certainly eyebrow-raising. The document points out that they requested to break in and Anne denied, and then they requested entrance via the calculator and Anne also denied. So it seems like Anne was spoiling her own fun. After that, they returned to the rendezvous point, at which point Anne used the calculator to send them back eight hours in time to the hotel to give them a break. 
Marissa and Ravi were requested to return exactly eight hours later in order to keep in lock with base time. And those eight hours were over, so I was waiting for them. The earpiece sputtered back to life just as I had finished reading the document. Changing of the guards! Come in, Mikey, are you there? Marissa asked. I just got settled in. How's it going? I responded. We are rested and in high spirits, and we will be at the rendezvous point very shortly. God, I love Troy. He's such a bonehead. He didn't ask nearly enough questions of us. Yeah, I think they sort of struck gold with Charlie, honestly, I said. Yeah, and we hit Pater because Troy sucks at his job, so it's a two-way street, Marissa said. So, what'd you think of the damage report they left you? Uh, not bad. We learned a couple things, I replied. Uh, a couple things is almost an overstatement, she said. I knew it wasn't going to be wall-to-wall -wall action, but it is so boring out here. It's even more boring than being on patrol because I can't drive around everywhere. Okay, well, what's the itinerary for tonight? I assume that we're not getting the files, but I saw that you did go to that building. What happened there? I asked. Well, we showed up just in time to see the lovely mailman take those files right away, so no files tonight, Marissa said. Well, fuck that then, now what? I asked. Well, I think it's time for some good old-fashioned camping out. The lights are off in the Betteridge household, but I've got this nice new night vision scope, so we'll just camp out here and see if those lights stay off. And if he goes out on some ill-advised adventuring tonight, then me and Ravi will be the first to know, and you will be the second. Hmm, I think I'm starting to figure out why Anne thought this was boring, I said. But fuck, I'm not bored. This is my mission. This is Thibodeau 1, Marissa. I'm excited. We're actually doing this. Yep, hurry up and wait comes with the territory, Marissa said. I mean, you get it. You sat in that van all night when you were watching that house, right? N no, Marissa, no, I didn't, I said, trailing off. She immediately realized what she had said wrong. Oh, oh, oh shit, Mikey, Mike, Mike. I'm I'm sorry. I I got I got mixed up. I'm No, 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 no. It's fine. It's just a simple mistake. Don't worry about it. I said. And besides, I was sitting in the base that whole time, so I do sort of know what it's like. So, um maybe we can sit around bored together this time? Yeah, that sounds great, Mike. I mean, I haven't heard from you in a long time. Just don't say anything that you don't want Ravi to hear. I could faintly hear the desire to placate me in her voice. Marissa and I talked for hours about anything that came to our minds. It was the most that I had talked to her since that night on her patrol, or maybe the night when she came to my house unannounced, after I had fled over and she had discovered that there were at least two hunters. It felt effortless. I could feel myself taking on her more gregarious tone. We were making up for time wasted. My friendship with Marissa had fallen through the cracks as my life had become more tumultuous. Light was beginning to peek over the horizon, according to Marissa. Not quite sunup, but enough light that she was beginning to be able to see. I was telling her about the tragedy of Macbeth, how it was a really good movie and it was really accurate to the play, and so if you read the play while you were watching the movie, you could understand it a lot better. And she was putting up with this for an admirably long time when suddenly she shushed me. Mike, ties up! Ties up! She whispered into the earpiece. What? Why is he getting up this early? The rest of the world hasn't, I said. Yes, yes, Mikey, he, he's leaving his cabin. I don't know where he's going yet, but we're gonna go find him. I could hear the excitement in her voice. So what, Marissa, are you just going to roll up in the patrol cart? How are you going to get over there? I asked. There's patrol carts over the whole valley. He doesn't know which patrol carts are supposed to be where. And I've got the night vision. I don't even have to get close to him. She explained. Come on, Mikey, we gotta go find him. I mean, aren't you bored? Don't you want something that you can write? Just then, I heard the sound of a gunshot come across the earpiece. Marissa? Fuck, what's going on? What the fuck was that? Was, was that Ty? I asked. There was another gunshot. 
No, it it wasn't Ty. I can I can fucking see Ty. It came from the opposite direction. She said, confused. Look, I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna go check it out. What? But no, Marissa, Ty. She cut me off. Look, if I just ignore that and go tail Ty, and someone comes from this direction and shoots us from behind, we're fucking toast, man. I'm not gonna get killed out here just because I didn't think to check. Here. I could hear rustling. Here, take the scope and get out and go find Ty. Don't lose him. Figure out what he's doing and I'll be back just as soon as I figure this shit out, okay? I could faintly hear Ravi's indecisiveness and reluctance as she essentially kicked him out of the cart. The cart engine turned over and I could hear Marissa speed off into the night, as she has been known to do. Marissa, I can extract you, you know, I said. Mikey, we are not backing out of this mission the first time anything interesting happens. I'm gonna be fine, this is why we're all here, she explained. A minute or so passed with only the cart's engine in the earpiece. I heard it slow and then come to a stop. Mike? Marissa said. Yeah, Marissa, what's going on? I responded. No, 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 not you. Uh, Mike? She said. I did not understand. Uh, no ma'am, it's, uh, it's Michael actually, uh, partner. They sent me out here to correct you. I, I needed to get your attention for, uh, base reasons. I'm just doing my job, ma'am. I could hear him through Marissa's earpiece. That did not sound like Michael. Marissa, keep your cool, but keep ready. That is not Michael, I said. I don't know what's going on, so be prepared. Well, Michael, what is it that you're correcting exactly? Marissa asked. Well, ma'am, uh, propagation and all that. Can't exactly say what I'm correcting. It's orders, understand? They don't even tell me nothing about it. I sat there, utterly stupefied. This wasn't Michael. Who the fuck was this, and why were they trying to pretend to be Michael? And how were they failing? I heard more gunshots, but they sounded even further away than the ones that the supposed Michael had shot. And what the fuck was that? Marissa demanded. That's classified, ma'am, he said. Ravi! Ravi! Marissa shouted. We were thinking the same thing. What the fuck are you doing out here? You're not Michael. Why are you pretending to be Michael? Who the fuck else is out here? Michael? I mean, Mike, uh, what happened? Is everything okay? I could hear the imposter Michael drop his accent as he walked away. I heard Marissa and the imposter turn and walk towards a third person. Michael, what's going on? Is everything okay? The false Michael asked. No! I just watched Ty shoot someone over by that set of cabins. I couldn't see who it was. I don't think any more base is out here. This was not part of expectations. We need to get the fuck out of here now. Marissa, the correction is done. Don't go looking for Ravi. You ain't gonna find him. He was a problem, and now he's not. You need to get extracted now. Tell Edgar or Anne or whoever is in that earpiece the jig is up. We weren't planning for this, and they weren't planning for this. Your life's at risk. You can figure out who Taz out here killing some other day. Got it? Mike, we gotta go. Now that, that was Michael. Jesus, you brought the fucking- Mike said, with Michael cutting him off. Yeah, I did, and you're welcome, and give me my hat back, you ungrateful greenhorn son- At which point everything went quiet. I could hear Marissa running back to the cart and starting it again. They're gone. They're just fucking gone, I guess. Just traveled straight out of thin air. One of them had a calculator on them, she said. Mike, what do they mean about Ravi? I don't know, I said, but I'm going to extract you from the rendezvous point. We've got to get you out of there. No, fuck that, Mikey. We forgot to do it at the beginning of your shift. We'd lose so much information. I'm going to get there. Just chill out and we'll do it, okay? I'm going to make it back to the cabin in like one minute. Be ready. 
Ty is a long way away. I can make it, Mikey. Just let me make it. One unbearable minute of driving later, I could hear Marissa exit the cart that was still running and make it to the steps of the cabin. Oh, okay, Mike, I made it. Just at the top of the minute, extract me, okay? I'm right here at the coordinates. Can you do that? I was frantically pushing buttons on the calculator. I had about 15 seconds if I wanted to extract her by that minute. I've got it, Marissa. I've got it. Can you see him? I asked. No, but I don't have the night vision anymore. Fucking Ravi does. Where is he? Fuck, Mike. Did they do something to him? Marissa, I don't know, but we'll worry about it later. You're coming to base without him. We can worry about him after that. My hands were shaking so hard that I could barely hold the calculator. The time changed to the minute. I pushed the button. be gone? More like whoa get along little doggy. At this point do you know what I am saying? Cowboy emoji.